Hello, everyone, and welcome to the English Department Podcast, another episode in our series of professor interviews. Today, we're joined by Professor Maria Hummel. It's great to have her on, and we're both super excited to ask her a couple of questions about what's been going on. Absolutely. Yeah, so to start off, can you just tell us a little bit about who you are and the classes you're currently teaching this semester? Sure. I am teaching two courses in creative nonfiction and one course in poetry. I'm actually a novelist and poet primarily, but I also write a lot of essays and have worked quite a bit in editing and journalism as well. So the courses are workshop courses like most of our writing courses and uh, really geared towards getting people to in nonfiction to tell their stories well and with all the possibilities that essay writing allows and in poetry to experiment a lot with poems and become a better poet that way. Since you're teaching both creative nonfiction and poetry, I'm wondering, I usually see them as like opposite sides of the spectrum of like the writing spectrum. So I'm interested, what's it like teaching two similar and yet very different classes? And like, what do you think are the similarities between the two? Well, you would might be surprised to know then that actually, I think poets have innovated the creative nonfiction form more than any other genre, even in some ways, even more than people who are sort of traditionally in the journalistic or, or nonfiction world. That started with Mary Carr and the Liars Club. That was probably in the 90s. And then Mark Doty and Nick Flynn and Natasha Trethewey came out with a memoir last year. And, the, and I think because poets like experimenting with the form itself, there have been poets who've really pushed what nonfiction can do, particularly at the book length. And so it's it's actually, there, there's more correlation than you would think. Now, writing a poem versus writing a prose piece and an essay are really different acts, but I think structurally there's more kinships between nonfiction and poetry than there is between fiction and poetry. And so I do really different things in my classes, but I have actually taught a class called Poetry and Memoir where we looked at, you know, poets who wrote poems first and then wrote their memoir and and, and looked at the bridges between the two genres. But yes, in class, just with these, these are called advanced courses, but in many ways they're kind of more um, intermediate courses. We're really looking at the possibilities of that single form and, and what you can do with it. Absolutely. Would you care to speak more about sort of the interplay or overlap between sort of, you know, writing poems and writing essays, specifically, I guess, in terms of just self-expression and, I guess, the narrative stance, how would you compare and contrast the two in terms of their ability as a medium as you say, like, tell your story, express sort of what you think is important about you. That, that's a pretty open-ended question. Just what, what's your thoughts on just narratives and essays versus narrative and poems? And yeah, a compare and contrast little exercise, I think, would be really interesting. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the main difference, I think, between them is that in poetry, you don't know if the speaker is the writer, 
right? You don't know. You might be reading, you know, Billy the Kid talking about killing somebody. You know, you don't know when you enter the poem if the speaker is the writer, even if the person uses the I, the first person. Whereas in, in nonfiction, the assumption is that you're not only, you know, reading a stand-in for the author, that I is, is the author at some point in time, but also that you that person is going to be reliable. That person is going to do something to make you trust them as a narrator. And I've, I ha- even had a student last week say, oh, well, I'd like to, you know, I'm so used to the unreliable narrator in fiction, and can I do that in nonfiction? And I said, not really, because that trust is kind of part of the genre. And, you know, if you want to make it unreliable, then make it fiction. But I think the thing that does draw them together significantly is that they're both often memory-based forms. They're forms that are drawing from memory, trying to recover the textures of memory, trying to articulate emotional states with the situations of memory. And people who, who write essays that are memoir and people writing poems about the past or even something that happened yesterday there's similar acts going on in trying to conjure, in a way, what happened on the page. And so I think in that way, there, there is a, a big commonality. The invention of them also, I think, often happens structurally, sort of pairing two memories, for example, or looking back on a memory and seeing more into it or that kind of thing and doesn't happen the way in fiction does where you actually make something up that happens next. And so that's why I also think I've seen more poets cross into memoir writing than I've seen poets cross into fiction. What kind of student do you see leaning towards more towards poetry or more towards like creative nonfiction? And how do you get those students who may have a more like, for example, in like a creative nonfiction class, if there's a student who's more like inclined towards a poetic type writing style, how do you get them to get into that mindset of the creative nonfiction? Yeah, well, I think there's two questions there. I think the people who gravitate towards poetry classes are people who I don't know. I think they're risk takers, you know? I mean, you if you take a poetry class, it's partly not going to be the thing that, you know, your parents understand as as progressing towards a job. And so, I love my poetry classes because I feel like we can talk about art in its sort of purest sense and not really worry about the pragmatics of is this going to make money uh or how to like build on this career-wise because really the only career path of for a poet is to go to, you know, graduate school or just find a way to keep writing and support yourself. But the other question, which was about how does a poet who writes poetically handle then maybe working with more dramatic narratives in nonfiction or or telling a story, right? And so I, I actually have a whole essay about this that came out in narrative, but I think that poets tend to, a lot of poets, and this is the lyric impulse, in us tend to operate on the far side of the moment, which is that they want to tell the story after, just after it's over and reflect on the meaning. And people who are naturally dramatic by nature and writers who are dramatic by nature write more on the near side of the moment. You're wondering what's going to happen next, right? 
So there's people who really gravitate towards unpacking meaning from something that's already happened and people who really gravitate towards like uh, investing you and engaging you in the the play by play to see see what will happen. And I have to often take my poets or my po- more poetic writers and say, "Okay, you know, you're always writing about things from from the hindsight perspective. Can you try to dial it sometimes?" to, you know, to, to sort of turn the, I don't know what it is, the, the, the clock in a way so that the second hand is before midnight or, or whatever the next hour and, and let things unfold. Yeah, I'm really curious. Where do you think you yourself identify in that spectrum? And like, how does like you see your own writing overlapping with poetry or like creative nonfiction? And how do you as a writer yourself teach those classes and identify with both of them at the same time? Well, I started out very much on the lyric side, on the far side of the moment side, on the on the poetic side. And I had to learn how to do the other. And that's why I'm very aware I have that radar for it in other writers. It's easier to learn how to move and write dramatically, I think, in some ways than to learn how to unpack meaning or at least I find it easier to teach because I had to learn it. But I've gotten to the point where I've figured out sort of the tricks of it and seen, you know, I used to have writing professors say, oh, you got to stay in scene. And I didn't really understand what they meant. And now I feel like I finally do. And a lot of it has to do with not leaning into that impulse to wrap things up and to like kind of go to the image that you know, expresses everything or whatever, but to really stay in the awkwardness. Like I I talk to people a lot who have that poetic bent to like allow awkwardness into your work, like allow these awkward moments that don't seem like they go anywhere, but are really natural and part of the pauses of human interaction that don't necessarily have an obvious meaning to let those be part of the story. Absolutely. Well, I think at, at this point, we should probably mention that both I and Connor are currently taking your class right now, creative nonfiction. And, um, you know, it's, we've, we've actually, you know, this is similar to advice you've given us in the class about, you know, scene writing and everything. And, um, you know, we've already been going over this with sort of experiential and reflective selves and sort of how that relates to the essay. I was wondering, you know, do, do you sort of have... Uh, I took advanced poetry with Stephen Kramer and, you know, that class was very much organized around like, you know, read a couple poems, come in, you know, each week we would do like a different form. Like one week was like a limerick or a sonnet or something. I was just wondering about how do you teach your poetry class? (laughs) What are any similarities to the advanced creative nonfiction class that we're both in? Okay. It's a little different. I consider the first maybe months of poetry class a mix of introducing concepts and then what I call studio time. So I introduce a concept and then we play with it. And we start with like the amino acids of poetry, like the line and then the stanza. So I have like, you know, a day is the line is a unit of sound. And I actually have students saying different sounds and then looking at how sounds work in poems. And then we look at syntax and we look at you know, the stanza being the word for room and the idea of poems having rooms in them. And we do that for about a few weeks. Then we have we start workshop. And this year I'm having three different writers come in and we spend a week on their books. Also, we're having Alexandria Hall, who 
graduated from UVM and has a book out called Field Music. And Philip B. Williams, who's got this great book, Mutiny, out. And then also Karen McCadden, who's a local poet whose book, um, American Wake, also came out recently. For those days, I have them, I have students writing annotations where they're looking into the books to analyze questions that they have about their own poetics. So I have a student who, for example, operating with some self-consciousness about her poetry being about certain subjects, right, which is a very common thing, right? Like you're writing a poem about the moon, you know there's been so many poems about the moon. So the self-consciousness is part of her poem, which I think is good. But I said, well, why don't you look, you know, why don't you look into one of these books that we're reading and see how that poet deals with self-consciousness? And so her annotation was about, you know, a couple poems and thinking about that self-consciousness. Or some people are looking at diction or you know, different questions. And then we do more workshop. And we did recitations on Wednesday. So everybody had to memorize a poem and recite it. We had a beautiful day, which was great. Today, we wrote duplexes, Jericho Brown's form. I haven't done as much form with this group, because uh, it just didn't fit with the books that we were reading. But that's, that's basically the gist of it. Yeah, I'm wondering, how do you uh, motivate people to write. Uh, one of the things I struggle with is just like getting started writing on the page. But like once I start writing, then it's just like, just keep on doing it. And just how do you motivate people to do that? And how do you encourage people to engage in creative writing? Well, let me turn that question back on you two. How do you, what makes you want to start writing? Hmm, I guess like, I like love reading a lot of stuff. So I want to do what my favorite authors can do and how they make me feel. And I want to like, not exactly imitate them, but replicate it. And I think writing is intimate and like all encompassing form of expression. And that's personally why I really enjoy doing it. I guess this might be a little embarrassing, but I feel like I'm, I, you know, I, I usually start with sort of like a problem or some kind of conflict. I mean, it's pretty, you know, standard advice. It's embarrassing because it's, you know, so like, how do you say, like milk toast, you know, but and sort of people are leaning away from conflict narratives in general. I mean, it's still conflict. Anyway, it's not a tip, but I, I, I usually, and, you know, I usually write about, you know, something happening in my own life or something that bothers me. So, I mean, that's just sort of my prerogative, but I have had moments where, you know, I've just even had, you know, something really great happened and I want to write about that, but it's usually moment-based. I am one of those people that sort of needs to have my phone on me to like write even like lines or ideas down as they come up. But, you know, as far as when I get an assignment goes, you know, it's almost like, to be perfectly honest, it's a little bit of less inhibiting in a way because, you know, you know, it's for a grade and not really for like artistic merit, you know, you know, you have a time frame on it, you know, you're trying to learn something here. In a way, the pressure to like make something great and long-lasting is not really there in the same ways that it is if you're making something on your own. Which I I always feel like you know the pool is just a little bit more shallower. You know, in a metaphor of jumping into the pool, not in terms of like the emotional content or anything. But I usually find that yeah, I either go with a conflict or I just sort of you know I say this this is due and I try to think of something I would enjoy to read. Yeah, that reminds me, like, writing really helps me um, make sense of what I'm thinking. And that's just like a super helpful skill in general is just to 
make sense of your thoughts and just being able to like put it on paper and like read it back to yourself personally really helps me like take a better view of what I'm thinking and what's going on in my life. I mean, you just answered your question. I think you said imitation. You know, that's one way to motivate people to write. Give them something really great that makes you is a door opener or gatekeeper for you as a writer. Mixed feelings, writing about things about which you have, you want to figure out what you want to say. Paying attention to the world, which you also mentioned with your phone. So something happens in the world and you're like, ah, that's something to write about. And then I also think deadlines. Giving people deadlines is really helpful. It, when you're writing on your own, you have to give yourself deadlines. Um, I think people really like having someone else give them deadlines. And that's why I have people write in class, too, because even though it's sort of weird to only have 10 minutes to write something, just somebody saying, okay, do it right now, you know, like you're here, do it, uh, can I think really be helpful for for generating material, even if it's rough stuff, it doesn't really matter. A lot of the war that people have is with the blank page, not with the messy page. So, yeah. That's one of the reasons I like really like being in school because I feel like I'm forced to do it like o over the summer or something like if, if I'm not taking summer classes, I find it so much harder to like motivate myself to write sometimes, but just having that structure and being told listen, this is, this is what you're writing. This is when it's due. And just having that motivation really helps. Yep. I agree completely. You know, the things I'm the most proud of, really, I have written for class. Well, it's probably not true for Professor Homily, but it might be true for Connor. But, you know, it, it is true. You know, having just, I guess, sort of leaning into the impulse even, or just sort of having a reason to do it, or, or feeling like, you know... It's, it's almost like with the institution of UVM, you know, it's almost like you use that, the authoritarian pressure of the administration to sort of like create our own little like, I don't know, film codes or, you know, restrictions to, to generate creative work. It's interesting. I mean, you know, and a lot of great artists and everything get started in college and, you know, things like that. So I think, you know, I've really enjoyed my time in the creative classes, you know, that I've taken. Yeah, well. I, I can't really think of uh, any other questions unless you have anything else that you want to address. Yeah. I mean, we you've already, you know, can we just plug the interview you did about your book? Because we could ask you about your book, but you already did, I believe, a whole interview with the the, the CRTV people, right? We should, let's plug that. <laughs> where Do you know where we can find that? It'll be in the description of this episode. Oh, yeah, or you could just give us a little summary right now if, if you would like i'm trying to remember i guess i was talking about the one that just came out yeah well it's the second in i'm, I'm working on a three-part series that's set in california in the art world that addresses women and representation and murder they're being you know classified as literary thrillers um and they're you know originally inspired by the work i did when i was i worked at a art museum in Los Angeles, the Museum of Contemporary Art. The second one that came out is set actually in an art college, though uh, a woman is found, a student is found dead in her studio. It appears to be the work of her own gun, but there's something uneasy about it to different people in the community. And my 
main character ends up kind of going undercover amongst a group of students who are building an art show to see if she can find out more about the last week of this woman's life. And that's called Lesson in Red. Bye now. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, I know. Yeah. That was really impressive how you just busted out that synopsis. I mean, you probably had it prepared, you know, at least in some part, probably had it right at the back of the book already. You know, I always feel like when I have to describe or, you know, when I when someone asks me what I'm working on or what I wrote and I have to like just in the moment give them a description of it, it's always incredibly awkward. Especially if it's sort of like if it's a fiction project, because then you're like, okay, so there's this guy. You know, like, I, I always feel, like, very sort of self-conscious, especially when writing fiction. I guess one last question that I've thought of right now is, have you written any creative nonfiction that is available for purchase or reading right now, or do you have any plans to in the future? Yeah, uh, you can link to my website, www.mariahummel.com, has links to some different pieces I've written, the most recent of which there is that far side of the moment essay I wrote, which is more of a craft essay. I also got very interested in, okay, so there was a painter named Oscar Kochka, and he had an affair with Gustav Mahler's widow, Alma Mahler, and it was very intense, and he painted her and everything, and then she broke it off with him, and he had a life-size doll made of her that's like a fetish doll and then lived with it for a while and then had a party and basically murdered the doll and like broke a bottle of red wine over it and she was one of the most famous muses of that period she had other husbands and and affairs that with really famous artists including Franz Werfel and Mahler and you know like not just visual artists, but also poets, musicians, everything. So it's an exploration of that, you know, the, the like tenuous nature of being the muse and where, where it has power and where it's utterly powerless. And that's linked off of there too, with pictures of the weird doll. <laughs> so I'm writing that right after uh, we finish this podcast. For sure. Yeah, I, I'll definitely have yeah. to check that out. So, yeah, yeah. you can yeah. find that there. All right. Well, thank you so much for, for joining us. Yeah. Is, is there uh, anything in the future that you'll be doing, like classes you'll be teaching or things that you'll be publishing that we should look out for? Well, next semester, I'm teaching two courses in stories of the body. So we'll look at different themes that relate to the body, like beauty and scars and illness and sex and death and different prose pieces that connect with that. And, yeah, I don't have uh, – I'm working on some new fiction projects, but I don't have anything to announce at this point because my last book just came out in June. So I'm in, I'm in the work-in-progress work phase right now. Well, thank you. Yeah, definitely. It's been great to talk. I just love talking about this stuff. So, yeah, it's been really, really great. <laughs>